This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want to invite you to have your books ready, the exchange, the leader's guide. This is, in fact, the Inquirer's Bible study, but it's material that you can use for relational evangelism, to come alongside someone you're burdened who needs Christ, and take the Word of God, let them do self-study before you meet with them. They do self-study, look up the verses that are given. The answer for the questions that they'll read are actually highlighted in the verse. All they've got to do is transfer the highlighted section uh, to the answer, uh, and uh, The Word of God then can convince them of their need for Christ, their condition uh, as a sinner, and then their need for the Savior. So that's what this is, but when you go through that Bible study with them, uh, there are notes on the side, so as you're helping them through this, there are actually comments that you can read uh, that will uh, be a help to you and to them as you work through these four lessons. And so uh, have that uh, ready tonight. We're going to be referring uh, to that. But let's start out in Jeremiah chapter 1. All right, if you'll turn there. Hopefully you brought your book back with you. These books uh, are no uh, charge uh, to those that are in this study, but you only get one, okay? If you need another one, let us know and we'll order that for you. And then we'll smile as we take your donation, okay? (laughs) But there may be some tonight who were not here last week and need the book, all right? Uh, Ushers, do you have those? They're just a... All right, you already gave them out. All right, so if you weren't uh, here last week and you still need to get your free copy, we'll smile and order that for you, okay? All right, Jeremiah chapter 1. I want to begin with a statement. This is going to be the first slide, and this is not part of your notes in the book tonight. But we need to remember that this is Holy Spirit work. You and I can't convince somebody into heaven. The Holy Spirit has to convince and convict them into heaven. What's his job? He's here to reprove the world of sin, righteousness through Christ, and of coming judgment if they don't receive Christ. All right, so what has the Lord promised through Scripture? What has he promised uh, to us if we are yielded to the Holy Spirit and we go to those, again, you've heard me say it, I'll say it again, where we make ourselves available where we access their lives uh, as God gives us opportunity, what does he promise? Well, listen to what he said to the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I set thee apart and ordained thee a prophet unto Israel. I misquoted that. Unto the nations, yeah. So the prophecy of Jeremiah will point to other nations. The Lord will speak directly to them. 
But he was called to declare their need for God as we're called to go to the nations with the gospel. Then said I, O oh Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. That is the tendency of all of us. We understand our limitations. You say, well, I, I just, I struggle to go to somebody and talk to them about their need for the Lord. Well, you're in good company. Jeremiah felt the same way. Can you think of anybody else in the scripture who had the same struggle? Moses. Absolutely, Moses did too. So there's more company. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Now watch, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. So if I yield to the Lord, uh, we talked this morning about studying to be approved unto God. You and I need to know the word of God and hidden it in our hearts and the, and the truth that is there then the Lord brings to our remembrance, but he also puts it in our mouth to be able to declare truth to others. Drop down now to verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. A little later tonight, we're going to talk about the fact that what God says, he's a just God, he wouldn't say something and not mean it or not perform it. And so the encouragement to Jeremiah was that not only will I put my word in your mouth, but what I say, again, I'll perform it. I'll do it. Let me give you some other passages as we look at this theme through Scripture. Listen to Psalm 81.10. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth, and I will fill it. Now, for you and I, Egypt is a picture of the world. I love the imagery in the Old Testament. Israel was literally delivered through a Red Sea. Egypt, picture the world. When the Lord saved me, he delivered me from the world. And he put me through a Red Sea. The blood of Christ. Listen to Mark 13, 11. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, Jesus speaking to the disciples, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak but the Holy Ghost. Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Has anything changed in 2,000 years? Same Holy Spirit, same truth. Open your mouth and God will fill it. All right, so that's the encouragement to us. Now, please understand this. The exchange 
is intended to equip you with the truth that the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind to use. This is not salesmanship. It's not what it is. Well, if I just learn to say the right things, maybe they'll buy my product. Stop. Some soul winning plans are like that. Okay, and again, that... That relies on me. No, what this does is it takes truth. It helps organize it in my mind so that if I'm yielded to the Holy Spirit, that organized truth from the Word of God can be presented to someone. And through the Scripture and the Holy Spirit, they can be convinced of their need of Jesus and, and receive Him. Okay, so that's what this is. So as you begin, notice the questions at the right here in Lesson 2. All right, if you'll turn there. We've already seen Lesson 1, God is Holy. Uh, lesson 2 begins on, let me get there, page 15, all right, in your book. Notice the questions that are there. The person you are helping should have already filled in this lesson, and that's what helps those questions to make sense for you. These questions will help you know what they think and understand about the truth in this lesson. What is the truth? We're going to be looking at the fact that God is just. Now, I am praying, you can pray with me, that in, on these Sunday nights through the month of August, as we look at this truth, there may be someone sitting here who has never received Christ as Savior. So this is not academic. This is not just me teaching what uh, a leader's guide says. Uh, there may be those listening online. There may be some here tonight. Uh, you've not received Christ. You're not convinced you need Jesus. But the fact that he's holy, that was last week. Tonight, the fact that he's just means that if you're still in your sin, he can't accept you in your sin. Now, he's made a way for you to be delivered from your sin. He's made a way through Christ for you to be forgiven of your sin. But unless you admit to him you're a sinner and receive Christ, you'll face eternal judgment. Am I standing in condemnation of you? No, because there was a day when I was under that condemnation too. But I turned in faith to Christ who took my judgment on himself on a cross. So in lesson one, we focused on the holiness of God. Because God is holy, he cannot tolerate sin. This lesson will focus on the fact that God is just. All right. In other words, he cannot ignore or overlook sin. And so this uh, lesson in the Inquirer's Bible study will begin by helping a person understand, and I'm looking at major themes here. We're not going to be able to read every question, fill in every answer. That's not the purpose of this. But the first several questions deal with this fact. God's very person is just. His very person. His very character is faithful, true, without error. In question one, they have a chance to describe his character from Deuteronomy 30. And verse 4, he is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth 
and without iniquity. Just, ah, there it is. You may want to circle that. Just and right is he. Now, question two will help them see that Jesus, who is God, doesn't change. Though our culture's view of right and wrong may change, and it is. Morality, it's taken on all kinds of definitions. And by the way, those of us who prefer or believe that God's definitions are the only right ones, now we're unjust and we're unloving and so on, right? But we've got to remember we shouldn't change our definition because God is just and he hasn't changed his definition about sin. God's standard of holiness never changes. And those are things that Brother Musgrave mentions in the book. Neither will his promises or his love for us change. Okay, now those again are all side notes. Those are things that, that he states there. So as you're doing the Inquirer's Bible study with someone, you can raise those points from Scripture to help them. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Aren't you thankful for that? My God doesn't change. Now, since Jesus is God, he is also just. And he cannot overlook sin. Now this is dealt with in question number three. That's at the top of your page 16. What does Acts 3.14 say? Peter, after he heals, through the power of the Holy Spirit, heals the lame man. when He's going up to the t top of the temple mount. Remember, they passed this lame man. People are gathered together. This man is jumping around and he's praising God. A crowd gathers. Peter preaches. And here is part of his message, verse 14. You denied the Holy One and the what? Did you know that one of Jesus' names is just? That's right. That's what Peter is saying. That's who he is. That's his character, his person. He was speaking to Jews who had put a completely just man on the cross. By the way, I didn't quote all of Acts 3.14. You know what he also said? You preferred the just man over a criminal. You, you chose Barabbas, who was unjust, and you put an innocent man who is completely just on the cross. What an injustice. Are you with me? That's what you did. Now the psalmist question four weighs in on what we can uh, expect from a completely just God. Psalm 111 and verse 7. The works of his hands are verity. What is that? That's truth. By the way, uh, you'll recognize that word in the New Testament. There's a similar, a similar word. Jesus will say this over and over. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Now, that word means true, truth. Jesus is the only one who could say, truth, truth. Now listen to me because what I'm going to say is only truth. You and I do it just the opposite. We'll make a statement. Somebody will look at us and we'll go, it's true. Not Jesus. 
Everything he stated was true, true. No question. So, the works of his hands are verity, truth, and judgment. When you see that word, it's the word for justice. All his commandments are sure. They're dependable. It's the idea, surety. You can count on it. You can, uh, you can take it to the bank, to use a modern expression. All right? Why? Because he is just. Completely just. Now, question five addresses the fact that God is just, and he proved it by helping Israel understand it applied to everyone. Let me ask you a question. Is someone just who plays favorites and treats people differently? Of course not. It's not justice. All right? So the Lord is just. In fact, you'll see there in the text, Leviticus 24, 22, he treats strangers and Jews the same. Now, you'll be able to help a person understand at this point that God isn't a respecter of persons. We're going to say more about that, or Jeff says more about that later in the lesson, but here's the point. There is no two-tiered justice system like we currently have in this country. The law is the law. Justice is, you've seen the statue, supposed to be blind. The blindfold, why? Because it doesn't matter who's out there, everyone gets treated the same. Where did we even get that concept? From God. So question six, when God told Abraham he would destroy Sodom, did they deserve it or did they not? What a wicked place. When God told him that, Abraham reasoned with God, there, wait a minute, there are righteous people in the city. He knew that. Of course, God knew that. Who was down in Sodom? Lot. He was down there. Should he have been there? No. But Lot, that righteous man, as we learn later, vexed his soul day to day. But he, there's a righteous man living in there, down in that city. And Abraham assumed that his family was righteous too. Well, we learn otherwise, don't we? Okay. But Abraham rested in God's justice and said in Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Deal justly. So that's God. Now these questions, 1 through 6, are meant to convince an unsaved person from Scripture that the God of heaven is justice personified. Just an overview, here's who God is. His very person defines holiness and justice. His very person is the standard. What he says is guaranteed because he is completely just, which means whatever he promises will happen without change. And this leads us to the second main theme then, in lesson two, here it is. God's justice must respond to all injustice. Again, I, for sake of time, we can't read through every question, but this is the theme. God's justice must respond to all injustice. So question seven helps a lost person understand that God's covenants, his guarantees, his commitments 
are both positive and negative toward sinners. See, there's, there's a lot of condemnation here when we think about God and who we are. And so, I, I love the way this lesson is laid out because Evangelist Musgrave helps understand that there are two sides. And ultimately, the lesson will close with the reality that there is hope in Christ. Okay? But Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful one, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, that's God, and repays them that hate him to the face to destroy them. Wow. He will not be slack to him that hates him, he will repay him to his face. Now, while God's unchanging nature is a blessing to us, his just nature is also a terrifying truth. Why? Because he must repay sin, and every one of us is a sinner. I'm so thankful for the young people that are here tonight, the children, you parents making uh, sure that these young people are under the preaching of God's word. One of the things that wasn't emphasized, I don't remember it as an emphasis growing up, is the fact that, yeah, I knew I was a sinner, but that I needed to acknowledge that before God and repent, agree with God about my sinfulness in order to be saved. Repentance towards God and faith towards Jesus Christ. Now, young people, praise God for your good homes, for the guidance that you receive, for the help to keep you from sin. Your parents want you to be simple concerning evil, and that's a good thing. Or I hope they do. You say, yeah, my, my electronic devices, they don't let me have it, or if I have it, they know every place that I go, good for your parents. You need to shun evil. It's all deadly. But here's another reality. You won't understand the exceeding sinfulness of sin in your flesh until you get older. When you get into your adolescent years and then you become an adult, your body starts to pull in directions that will surprise you. And it's then, and, and really only then, that you'll discover, you know what, I, I'm as wretched as the Bible said I was. Here's the fact, right now you have fallen flesh, and unless you are saved and yielded to the Holy Spirit, it's going to act out of what it is. How can I prove that? As I stand here tonight, there is something that has happened. I've watched it now for decades I've seen it in every church that I've pastored where young people raised in a church like this one get to a certain age and they defect from the faith. They may still claim to be saved. Uh, they still may say they believe what they've always believed, but they turn their back on God. They went out from us because they were not of us that it might be revealed 
that they were not of us. What happened? Their flesh. And there came a point when they had to own what they'd been taught from the word of God and they sided with their flesh. What does that remind us of? The exceeding sinfulness of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter whether your parents are Christians or not. That's who we are. Oh. God's justice and must respond to all of that injustice. Now lesson one taught that the throne of God represents his holiness. This lesson teaches that his throne also represents his justice. Look at the verse for question 8. You see it? Psalm 89, 14. What does that verse say? Justice and judgment are the habitation of your throne. Mercy and truth shall go before your face. Oh, I'm sure glad mercy is in that verse. I'm sure glad that God hasn't, in his justice, immediately given what we, us what we deserve. There's mercy. There's grace as we get into the New Testament. Now, what is God prepared to do from that throne? Question 9. Again, Psalm 9, 7 and 8. They're going to read this. They're going to answer the question. But here's what God is prepared to do. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. That's what he's prepared to do from that throne. And while we have these references in the Old Testament, it really gets defined in the New Testament as the great white throne judgment. And it's from that throne that the heavens and the earth fled away. So questions 10 through 12 clearly explain that God will judge all sin and not let his into his heaven anything that is unjust that would defile where his perfect justice is enthroned. All right? And then questions 13 and 14 help the individual that you were leading through this Bible study, understand that God's justice once again applies to everyone. And this brings us back to the fact that he's not a respecter of person. persons. Acts 10.34, God is no respecter of persons. Proverbs 24.12 reveals that God will render to every man according to his or her works. Everyone. We're going to give an account for our works. So let's pause for a moment. At this point in the lesson, the author, I think wisely, introduces some argumentation. What do I mean? Well, the person that you're trying to help may be thinking this. Well, no one's perfect. They might be thinking, yeah, he's God, I'm man. That's not fair. I'm not that bad. Whatever may be going through their mind, that's not fair. Now the study notes for the leader of the Bible study are very helpful. 
But here's the point, and, and he makes this. There are other things that you'll be able to share with them, but here's the point. There is a difference between fairness and justice. Okay, what's the point? While fairness can be based on feelings, and it often is, justice is always determined by facts. God's justice is always determined by facts. In fact, the scripture says, John looked in heaven and he said, books were opened. Do you know there's a perfect record in heaven of everything you and I have thought, said, and done? How many of you are encouraged by, okay, don't raise your hand. <laughs> a perfect record. The books were opened. And then the scripture says, and everyone was judged out of the things written in those books. You ever thought about the fact that when God sits on his throne, you never read about a jury? Why doesn't he need a jury? He saw the whole thing go down. He heard every word. He knows all about it. Which is why, by the way, those who have rejected Christ's sacrifice for sin, when they get before the throne, the Bible says that their tongues will be stopped. Why? You don't have a defense. Guilty. There's no defense. I saw it all. And I'm just. Someone might say, I thought God was a loving God. How can he judge people? Now what you read in your notes is the same illustration if you uh, take the class, and I hope you will. Those classes giving the exchange, Jeff Musgrave will use the same illustration there. So here, if you're going through the Bible study, you can use this illustration. If you've knocked on somebody's door, you have an opportunity to give them the gospel, you can use the same illustration. All right? In a, in a shorter uh, situation, not several weeks of Bible study, but, but maybe just one evening sitting in their home, giving them the gospel, you will explain his holiness. That's the first step, how to do that. The next step is to explain his justice. And one of the illustrations that you can use, that's used right here in the notes about his justice is this. Imagine a judge residing over a murder trial. There's a mountain of evidence proving the defendant is guilty. Now, would justice be served if the judge chose to overlook the obvious guilt and acquit the murderer, yes or no? Well, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling generous today. I've condemned a lot of people, you know, you're free to go. It's not justice. He may love the murderer. That murderer may be his friend. Imagine if the person standing in front of the bar was not a friend. Imagine if it was his own brother who's committed murder. The evidence is there. And the judge, because he loves his brother, because it's his brother, lets him go free. You and I would look at that and say that is 
That's an even greater injustice. Favorites. And we could say, well, that's not fair. And so the question is, would God really be just if he overlooked your sin or mine? No, he wouldn't. Remember back to his covenants. And then again, question 16 helps the inquirer understand what the Bible says we deserve because of our sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is, <clears throat> it's death. God is perfectly just. You and I have a hard time even comprehending that because we don't know perfect justice unless we know the Bible and we know God. That's justice. You and I can't comprehend really complete holiness unless we know the Bible and we know God. You and I on this earth have never met anyone who is completely holy. And so we have a hard time even understanding that standard. But the one who is holiness and is justice personified, here's what he has deemed in his perfect justice and holiness. If you sin, you deserve death. The payment, the paycheck, the wages of sin is death. Now questions 17 to 19 explain from Scripture the penalty for sin that it's not just physical death, but the second death and the everlasting punishment and torment of the lake of fire. And would you take your Bibles and let's look at the passages that he, he gives us there. Go to the last book in your Bible, go to Revelation, and we're going to begin in chapter 20. As you're turning there, I would submit to you that the book of Revelation is the final demonstration of God's justice over mankind. In fact, the seven-year tribulation, the great tribulation, is God taking the cup of his wrath and giving earth what it deserves. By the way, it's coming. How do I know? Because there's a just God on the throne in heaven, and he said so. All right, so what does he say this death is? It's not just physical death. Revelation 20, go to verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead... Again, no respecter of persons, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. By the way, the book of life, and you can share this with them, that's the book of mercy. See, everyone who's ever born gets put in that book. Why? Because God wants them to have life eternal. If they reject the sacrifice of Jesus, if they refuse to admit their condition before God, their name gets erased out of that book. So here are all these books, evidence of my guilt. Justice demands eternal damnation. But there's one book where 
My name can stay there in spite of all the other books if I'll just repent of my sin and put my faith in Jesus. Isn't that great? I had the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Did anybody escape? Nope. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Imagine that. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So it's not just physical death. Well, I'm going to die, go in a grave, I cease to exist. No, you won't. God's justice requires that death and hell be cast into a lake of fire. It's eternal dying and eternal torment. That's justice. That ought to shake us. That's my family without Christ. Those are my neighbors without Christ, my co-workers. Look over at Revelation 21 now. Go to verse 8. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, right? All those abominations in the Bible... That, that gross sin that God hates, those who commit those things, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters. Honestly, religious people can look at that list and they, they might be able to say, there are things there that I, I really am not guilty of. I think if you do a thorough study of the scripture, about any one of those could hang any of us. But then he says this, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let me ask you a question. How many people do you have to kill to be a murderer? Just one. How many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? Just one. I'm not going to have a raise of hands here. Anybody here told a lie? And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. As one old southern preacher put it, that last one cooks my goose. Mm. Okay. The second death. Now that's a difficult list. But the one about the lying, that ought to convict any heart. Now, what does the passage say a just God will do to all liars? Lake of fire. So let's conclude tonight. This lesson doesn't end on a note of judgment. Though everyone who has worked through this lesson, and by the way, as you're working through this, just let the scripture speak for itself. You don't have to sugarcoat anything. Speak the truth in love and let God use it in hearts. But look at page 22. God cannot deal with us in a way that is contrary to his nature. His holiness means he cannot tolerate sin. His justice means he cannot overlook sin. 
But notice what Brother Musgrave says. There is good news. And he even says to them in the next lesson, lesson three, we'll see that God provided a way for his holiness, his justice to be satisfied without you and I having to be judged personally for our own sin. That is good news. There's deliverance. He that believeth is not, what? Condemned. But he that believeth not, condemned already. You know what that means? Already on death row. Sentence has been passed. We're just waiting for them to swing that iron door open and to take me to my death. That appointment with death. So question 22 ends with hope. Dear friend, God doesn't want you to go to hell. What does he want you to do right now? And then we're given Ezekiel 18.32. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, says the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves. What is that? That's repentance. I'm headed this way. I'm continuing in my sin. I'm flaunting it before God. Turn. That's repentance. And what's the next word? Live. 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 Now, more great help is given in the summary. You can read through that. But one of the closing questions is this. Do you think Jesus would rather condemn you or save you from this judgment? Well, he proved it. He gave you his answer because he hung on a cross. He was made our sin. He bled and died so that we could be washed clean. One preacher said, when he hung there and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He utters, uttered those words so that in the lake of fire you would never have to utter those words to God. Let's look at Romans 6.23 again. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think Brother Musgrave would say this, as I've done this Bible study with folks, many times at this point, and I, I've, had, I've had it happen in my office, they'll say, can I just get saved? <laughs> yes, right now, let's do it. Because the Lord has convinced them of their condition, and they know enough of the gospel to turn their hearts to Christ. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever done a Bible study like this with someone, but you need to. Everybody here needs to. You need to take the training. You're getting this training. You need to form a list of people that God's laid on your heart that need to be saved. And then invite them over. Fix dessert. Have your wife fix dessert. That's safer. Okay. All right. Have dessert, have coffee, and sit there, go through this with them, and just watch the Word of God grip them, arrest them, and bring them to salvation. Maybe by the end of this second lesson, they're still not convinced, but I, I can tell you God's got their attention. It may take a third lesson, a fourth lesson, but let God do his work. You just be there to keep planting seed. 
And then water that seed with your prayers. Build a relationship. Let them know that you love them. You care about them. That's why you're doing this. Let them know, look, there was a day I was lost and Jesus saved me. I can't help it. I just got to share that with you. You can be saved too. So let God use this, all right? And, uh, and let's see what God will do uh, as we move ahead as a church. He's already letting us make plans for more space. I believe if he allows us to build it, I believe he's going to, he's going to fill it. But how are we going to fill it? Folks that have come to know our Jesus. And now we're learning to observe everything that he has commanded. And that's why this is so helpful. And I hope that you will give yourself to learn this truth. And then that you'll take time to share it. And still in others' lives the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for your justice. Lord Jesus, you're just. We acknowledge that, but we also acknowledge there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You are separate from us in that way, and in so many ways. But thank you, Lord Jesus, you took on our humanity. You became man. You lived in the midst of our injustice and experienced it when civil authority and religious intolerance nailed you to a cross. But Lord Jesus, thank you, you rose again, conquering sin and death, and that you are at the right hand tonight to save anyone who will come unto you by faith. So Lord, as we close tonight, would you help us to be convinced be reminded the truth that we needed to understand in order to be saved. And Lord, would you use us then to bring others to you for salvation. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.